Hello and welcome to This Woman's Work, a space where you can hear and read about some amazing women, the fantastic jobs they do and the paths that have led them to where they are today. I'm here today with Jen. Hi Jen. Hi. Could you tell the lovely listener what it is you do for a living? Okay. Oh, well it's... it's quite a long title I guess um yeah it's a so, great title though <laughs> so I'm the um I'm an assistant professor of human flourishing so basically what that means is is that I'm a um a lecturer at the University of Nottingham where I teach on the um, master's in person-centered experiential psychotherapy um but I'm also a um, therapist in private practice that I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, yeah. we've got to go more into that. <laughs> but before we go, this is I have to rein myself in here because yeah. I will start going into a million questions. Okay. But we have to go back first and we right. have to talk about little Jen. Okay. At school college. Okay. Yeah. What were you like? What were you into? Oh wow. Okay. So the yeah, this is a quite a story, I guess. <laughs> um so I was quite an introverted child I had a really um quite a bad stammer until I was about five or six I think wow so I couldn't I I remember my I kind of remember vague bits about it I remember that for me my world was quite silent um so I became quite observant of people okay Um, but I was also quite uh, angry, I think, when I couldn't get my words yes, out. I remember yeah. feeling that kind of frustration. Um, and, um, yeah, I think for me, I was always aware that I had a difference. Um, and I think that's more, I'm more aware of it now, doing the thing that I do. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, whereas actually growing up, it was like, okay, that was something that I... That just happened to That you. happened yeah. to me and I don't do it anymore, so it's fine. Yeah. But actually, I think now... I, I am. I still stammer, but I learn to control it quite a lot. Right. Okay. Um. So it's something I'm more aware of. So yeah. So I was quite introverted, quite quiet. Um, I wasn't particularly smart. I struggled at school quite a lot. Uh, I always felt quite behind everybody else. Do you think that had anything to do with sort of this? Your sort of your level you know your ability to communicate and yeah I mean possibly I think I just and almost just switching off a little bit yeah, maybe I think I just really wanted I just really needed to go at my own pace I think I was perfectly capable like there was nothing about me that that was um that didn't want to do well mm. you know I really tried very hard all all the way through school and I really struggled with kind of fear of failure Right. Like I remember that being a big part of school. Yeah. Um, like, you know, doing badly in something would be the end of the world for and me. Am I allowed to ask, was that school or home life that did or both? Oh, or? no, I think, you know, I had, a really, I had a very supportive family at home. Um, yeah, I think it was, this was all sort of part school. of, yeah, I was the eldest child. I had two super smart sisters. Ah. You know, and yeah, I think I was just, I I think I just found it a little bit harder, you know, as many people do. School is like an impossible thing to go through. It really is. And like you say, the pace of it, I don't know. I mean, are schools better now? So are you talking more secondary now or even primary? Oh, I remember it in primary. Yeah. 
And I, I don't think schools are better at it now. In fact, I think actually the education system is worse. Yeah. You know, in terms of driven by results, I don't think children are allowed to go at their own pace. Yeah, I, I got through school. Yeah. And I, and I did well, despite the odds being against Fantastic. me. So, you know, I was predicted bad grades and I got good grades and I got into university um, where I studied management science and I wasn't a natural management scientist. I was going to say, what made you do that? So what A-levels did you do then? So I did geography, history and politics. Okay. And the subjects that I was really interested in, things like psychology, sociology, yeah. like history, politics, I was just really worried about doing a degree in those because I couldn't see a kind of natural progression in terms of career for me. Yeah. So I picked management science um, because I thought, yeah, I, I think I can go into business and I'll be, I'll be it was sorted. Very much of that era, though, kind wasn't it? Was, wasn't it? And I was really influenced by the kind of um, like career women yeah. movement and. You know, like I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to have that kind of power. Yeah, I want to, I want to change the world. Yeah. And at that point, the way that I perceived I could change the world was by kind of entering in to this this world of business and commerce and capitalism. And uh, yeah, so I, I began this degree and and I and I got through it by the skin of my teeth I had some amazing <laughs> housemates who were far more intelligent than me who basically coached me through my Aww. my degree at university which is um yeah very good of them very they're very patient with me um and during that year I had a job I worked for Reebok doing sports marketing for them for Just my year dropping that in casually so was that a placement year? Yeah, placement year. Okay. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. Well, and how many people? How many places did you apply for for that? I, I got offered. So I was offered a job with Esso, and I was like, ah, I can't work for an oil company. Right. Uh, and then I, and then Reebok was there because they, I think the lure was that you got a free pair of trainers every month, and I was no. like, that for cool. a student. Megan. And also, like, the glamour of working yeah. in sports marketing. And, yeah, so that was... Um, it was a really fun year. Yeah. Um, it was a really, really cool job. We got to do some really interesting things and good projects. And, I mean, it, it was full on, and I think I learned a lot about myself. But I also learned something about being in the corporate world. Yeah, and so I just... I thought, OK, I'd... I'd maybe my career isn't in this world so I went back to uni and as part of that we had to do a uh, for our final year project we had to write a business plan and I wrote a business plan for a business and I thought oh do you know what this is something that I could possibly see myself doing see myself running a business and I think the motivation was to create a business that was kind of different to the the one that I'd experienced to the ones that I was learning about about I mean, I can't remember much of it, but I think also part of it was about fear for me, mm. about kind of entering into this corporate world, feeling like I didn't really belong there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was all pretty petrifying at yeah. the time. So, um, so at the I left... same time, we'd obviously developed quite a good business idea. 
I, don't, I, I, I could write or a business plan. Yeah. You know, I could write a business plan and, um, and I really enjoyed that. It was the one part of my degree that I actually really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so graduated against all odds with a 2-1. <laughs> that was the biggest shock of all, I think. Uh, and then um, left university and felt really lost. Like Gosh. utterly, utterly lost. And there was some stuff happening at home and, you know, I kind of needed to be at home. Yeah. So I stayed, I stayed at home and then spent some time writing this business plan um, for this small business. And that's what I did. I got some funding for it um, and set it up. And lots of my friends at the time thought I was crazy. You know, like, why would you, why would you do this? I kind of wish I'd listened. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I'd listened. Um, but, you know, I was... But it set you off on a path, didn't it? It's, it did. It set me off on a path. And... Um, and Stanford became my home, my community, um, and yeah, I, I kind of look back on it because I was doing this business for pretty much twenty years. You did, yeah. It was a long time, and and I have very mixed feelings about that. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Because obviously, it... just for people listening, um, Jen set up the most amazing sort of coffee shop and deli, which we all went to regularly yeah. and will come on to the fact that you no longer do it and yeah. I've not been in there since yeah. <laughs> I've just seen you it was pretty I guess but it, it was, was just it was like it was before where we went wasn't it it, it? it was just the hub you set up this fab space yeah. and this fab vibe and a fab food I mean there were only at that point three coffee shops in Stamford which is unbelievable really considering it there must now. be about yeah. like I don't know I've lost count now how many there are so you know it, it was on paper it should have been a roaring success but it turns out that it wasn't I wasn't a very successful business person <laughs> um, the idea was great the and idea from a was customer fair. point of view we loved yeah. it and but yeah it was it's it's a hard yeah. yeah and I was really busy but I also you know that was working seven days a week uh, long long hours and I was a kind of a busy fool I think, mm. um, but my sense of self was so wrapped up in the success of this business that I was absolutely petrified of any alternative, any yeah. sense of failure. But also, you kept trying different things, didn't you? You opened it up at night a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I did a kind of evening bistro, so it made my days even longer uh, yeah, than they needed yeah. to be. And again, was... we loved it. <laughs> Do not smile. <laughs> Yeah, those sixteen-hour days. I know. Which, you know, just just what you want. I know, but you were always trying new things, though. Weren't I was. You were trying to kind of make it work. Always, and I guess that's the thing with any business is you've got to kind of um, keep adapting, keep diversifying. Um, you know, and and I think we did that. To, to be fair, I think yeah. that was one thing that the business was quite successful at in terms of you did everything you could possibly have done with that place yeah you know opening out the outside space which was fab yeah yeah Yeah. you've got that to it you know it was just we just didn't get something right and I'm not sure what bit we didn't get right in order for it not to fly yeah okay but it never flew it was always it was always just about breaking even I used to wake up at 2am in the morning because that was when the bank balance kind of 
that was updated. Right. So I'd know who I could pay. Right. You know, that that is living like that is working those hours. Utterly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you are just like the stress of that situation. And people don't talk about that when they're in business. Um, it's a very, very lonely place. Mm. And I kind of wish that more people spoke about it. Because mm. for me, I couldn't speak about it because of the shame. Mm. It was like, you know, things aren't going so well. Things are really tough. But, you know, pre-COVID, that wasn't really spoken about. No. And I think post-COVID, maybe we've got a bit better now. Maybe it's like there's been this kind of uh, national... Oh, actually, things are really tough for people who run their own businesses. Although, again, the people I've spoke to, I think there's an element that, I don't know, we all seem to be so desperate to forget COVID ever happened. Yeah. We're all just going straight back to how everything was. Yeah. All the good that we seem to have... Let's face it, it was just a lot of bad. Exactly. But like, yeah. like you say, mental health, physical health, all that kind of yeah. wellness stuff was probably the only thing that good that came out of it, yeah. really. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm worried it's not quite... Yeah, that we're going, we're kind of retreating. There's back. a lot of people that are, I think, um, still really focused on it. But mm. yeah, I think people are desperate. Just, I mean, like I've just said to you, you know, and that's me being really honest. You mm. know, it never even occurred to me that that was going on yeah. for you. Mm. It always because you were always so lovely yeah well so I so happy plaster on a smile absolutely and tell and the world I was fine for me I was having a great, a great time yeah, and I think yeah. that's the point is that people often don't look beyond themselves no. do they to actually think what's going on in someone else's life yeah Covid made us do that yeah but I think a lot of we've gone back to that yeah like covering of, up and you know that everything has to be everything has to be great and good and happy and you yeah. know and it's just not it's just not the case people lives are bloody difficult was it like that for was it like that for the majority of the time so um yeah you know yeah it was i think it was like that for large proportions of the time um i mean there were there were happy points in it you know there were i think the main the main thing is is that i worked with some amazing incredible people that i really considered to be family yeah you know and and watch their children grow up and yeah like very happy times of those working relationships and we and we were really lucky in that when a lot of people that we employed stayed with us for long periods of time yeah um so at what point then did you start did you cuz i've i've never asked this which i feel yeah. awful about now so where did that gem come from? Yeah. Just to start thinking, right, I've got to do something different. What is that different? Okay, so when I was in my early 20s, I had some counselling because I'd been involved in a, um, a car accident. Um, and um, I'd witnessed something that was very traumatic. Um, and I had never really processed what had happened on that day. I'd never spoken about it. It was... Um, yeah, I watched somebody die, but yeah. I couldn't save him. And I was very young, I was 20 years old. Um, so, you know, I speak about my experience at university, this was going on at the same time, and I'd really put it in a box that was untouchable. Yeah. So I had this therapy then, um, and I think lots of things were happening with the business at the time, and I was feeling really down, and um, I was having kind of... I wasn't able to sleep, 
Yeah. I was like really having trouble in relationships and think lots of aspects of my life felt off off and unsettled. Um and I think had I gone to the GP I'd probably had have had a diagnosis of like depression or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they just put you on tablets. Yeah, but I knew I was very certain I didn't I was very certain that I kind of knew that I needed to talk about something. So I, I was able to access therapy, which I did. I know you have a little life in you, yeah. I know you have a lot of strength left. I know you have a little life in you, yet. I know you And I remember the therapist saying at the time, I think we had about ten sessions together, and it was really helpful for me. But I remember her saying to me, oh, you know, I can kind of imagine you doing this at some point in your life. Mm. Like, have you ever thought about becoming a therapist? And I was like, no, no, that's not, that's not for me. How interesting. And then I had, I had Tom. Um, so Tom is now 10 years old, nearly 11 years old. And um, again, it was an experience that... Um, was very difficult for me, like becoming a mother. Um, I had a, a, a fairly traumatic birth and um, Tom um, was very poorly when he was born. And I kind of expected to be like a brilliant mum. I thought mm. it would be so easy. And then it was so unbelievably hard. Like he didn't sleep, he didn't eat. Like, I, my body stopped producing milk. It was like, my God, this is not how this is supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not how You're everyone else is doing shattered. it. I was, oh. I was like, crushed. Mm. My whole identity was, like, disappearing before my eyes. Mm. And I didn't know what the hell to do about it. And then... Um, when Tom was, I think he was about three months old, he got sepsis. And that was just horrendous. But he nearly died. Gosh. And um, I suddenly realised, like, the fragility of life. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I could lose him. And, yeah, I was, it was terrifying. Gosh. Um, but we didn't lose him, and he recovered, and... He's but, now ridiculously tall. Oh, yeah. And like, strapping, you'd never know. And amazing. You'd never yeah. know. Yeah. You know, um, but for me, I, I know, because every time he got a temperature... I went back to that place of wanting to call the ambulance. Yeah. Like, I had no sense of certainty about his resilience. Um, he's he's asthmatic. Yeah, I can hear him wheeze now. I listen mm. to him wheeze at night because I know when he needs an inhaler. I know when I need to take him into A&E. Like, that, the trauma of that experience has never, never really gone. And was this, Johnny, asking, was this before or after your counselling? So this is, this is in conjunction with... So while so, you're having so therapy. no so th- sorry I had my first bout of therapy in my early twenties right yeah and then I got to this point and I was like okay I I need to I need to figure out who I am in all of this yeah because I'm lost yeah. and I I don't know I knew I didn't want to go back into the business 
Yeah. Um, because that was kind of me and my life before. And, and Pete was running it at that point. Yeah. So, um, and I also knew that as a couple, the business couldn't continue to support us. So I needed, I needed to retrain. I needed to find a new career yeah. in order to su- support us as a family. Um, so Pete and I kind of, I'm not sure that we ever actually sat down and discussed this, but it was kind of like, okay, this is what, this is what's going to happen. You yeah. need to retrain. So I just started to do a course at Stanford College in counselling. My my thought process was that I'll just carry on doing that. But why counselling as such? Because you'd poo-pooed it in your 20s. Yeah. What made you then think later on? There was just something... Because you are an amazing listener. Like You've always been a really good... I think people just... Talk to you. So I find people so interesting. Mm. Like, I just want to... I just want to hear their stories. I just want to understand them. I just want to... Um, I just want to connect with people. And so, sadly, the next part of the course was cancelled like a week before it was about to start. Oh, gosh. So I, and I kind of, I knew this course had started at Nottingham, but it was a, there was a big thing about it because Nottingham University was always the university that I wanted to go to and they rejected me oh, first okay. time around. I was going to ask how you ended up in yeah. Nottingham, of all places. Yeah. So they they rejected me, and I was devastated when they rejected me. Right. The first time, and so I saw this course, and I was like, oh well, it would be quite nice to go to Nottingham. I really didn't think I was capable of doing a masters at all. Yeah. But I thought I'm gonna gonna give it a go. The course looked really interesting. It was person centered psychotherapy, and I'd read a little bit about it, and I was like, okay, this really. This really fits with me. It really fits with the therapist that I want to become. Okay. I was really intrigued by it. Really. So at this point, sorry to interrupt. You'd only mm. just done that kind of course at college here. Yeah. So I'd done like the basic certificate. So you didn't really kind of know in the therapy. ins and outs of where you wanted to go with it yet. Or... No, I knew very little about the world of therapy. I knew yeah. very little about theory. I'd learned some listening skills. And, you know, touched on the very kind of basics okay. of different therapeutic models. So I rang up, um, I rang up David, who was course leader at the time. And I said, have you got a space on the course? I know it's just launched. I know it's starting next week. And he said, yeah, there is a space. I can interview you. So I was totally unprepared for oh this interview. Gosh. And, you know, for an academic interview... Yeah, I would. I'd done very little reading. I just, yeah, God knows why he offered me a place on the course. I still, to this day, don't know, but I, I think he saw something Absolutely. that was maybe like a potential or like a real, um, a real kind of genuineness in wanting to learn about this. Yeah, yeah. That I felt and was able to communicate to him. Um, so I started on the course the following week. Wow. And it was crazy. But it was crazy because yeah. you did it part-time, didn't so you? So I did it part-time over four years whilst partly working in the business, whilst also... And you were Tom. doing the catering. Yeah, yeah. You were doing... We didn't even touch on that, did we? The kind of event catering and that yeah. kind of side so of that it. was kind of me 
bringing in a bit more money to the business yeah in in doing the weekend catering yeah it it was a great day when I finished that wow so so then I um I'd also during that time helped um set up a clinic in Nottingham a free psychotherapy clinic um and that was really important to me uh, to offer like long-term person-centered psychotherapy within the community of Nottingham um, and we collected research as well so that was my research project for my master's um, but it also meant that I could apply to get some funding to do my PhD okay um, which I did and I was really fortunate to to receive funding um, from the BACP, which is the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy. Um, so what I was interested in researching was kind of understanding um, sort of how therapy works for people who'd experienced trauma. And I think oh that really gosh. stems from kind of my earlier experience that I'd yeah. uh, I'd spoken about of the, of the car accident. Um, but also my experience of working as a therapist working with people within the charitable sector who weren't able to get help through their GP with things that had happened in their life, um, you know, with with trauma. So I worked a lot with people who'd been sexually abused as children. Oh, my gosh. Um, And, um, yeah, that was a a large part of my experience on the MA, of working with with people through through really long-term psychotherapy work. Yeah, so I, I started my, my PhD um, and um, entered into the world of psychotherapy into private practice um, and also started to teach. So I started to teach at the Open University and I t- started to teach at another psychotherapy institute. And then um, a job came up on the course in Nottingham and I applied for it and was amazed to be offered it um and yeah and so I'm back I'm teaching now on the course that I studied on so what made you want to apply for that oh that course that course is my home it's where I discovered myself it um and you want to help other people feel that same way I cannot tell you how that course changed my life wow it's yeah, I, I, I really struggle with remembering kind of what I was like before the course. And, it, you know, it was slow. It was four years of changes. But it was four years of being held and accepted. And, you know, and I fell apart so many times on that course. You know, I really got to the point where I was like, again and again, like, I can't do this, I can't carry on. And, and all I got was this sense of like it wasn't even it wasn't even you can do this and you will do this it was it was like if you want to do it then you'll find a way so I've been doing that now I've been teaching on the course for two years I became course leader um in May wow um which yeah is a is an amazing opportunity for me um and yeah one that I'm really looking forward to so what's next then oh well what's next you're only two years into this yeah two years into course course leader and 
Oh no, two years into this teaching post and then course and leader. And now course leader. Um, so yeah, I think I found, well I hope I found my home, <laughs> if they'll continue to have me around. And yeah, I've got lots of bits of research that I'm really interested okay. in doing and it's an amazing job. Everyone yeah, should do it. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone should do it. Um, no, well, not everyone should do it because not everyone's right to do it, are they? But no. Well, someone hopefully listening to this might want to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, but I guess equally, if I follow that chain of thought, so you went did this course. You never anticipated that you would end up teaching. In well, I guess you were thinking you would end up just going into practice and. Oh yeah, no, I never. And just sort of yeah. Yeah. I'm... And did you almost have prior to did you have a plan for kind of going on your own or in a? Because I'm guessing are there group practices that you could join or I don't really know I think I had a a kind of a a thought about wanting to be employed having spent so long being self-employed and thinking oh I'm not sure I could face any more of that so yeah I think initially maybe my thought process was around you know getting a, a job as a psychotherapist possibly even within the NHS yeah and then yeah. and then I, you know, through the process of learning about the person-centred approach and about the course, was feeling more and more like, okay, that I don't think that is going to be a home for me, that I can, yeah. I can do something else. But also, I think for me, it was about, like, I'm, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do private practice full-time, that yes. I, I knew I'd probably need other things in my life to have kind of variety yeah yeah so I I wanted to build a career that afforded me that variety and and that's what I've got with teaching and research and private practice and it's all happened really organically hasn't it it seems to have done yeah yeah it seems to have happened really organically kind of accidentally um yeah and 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 a lot of it has been about overcoming my own kind of inner critic yeah <laughs> which can be very loud yeah. a lot of the time um but I've kind of learned to dial it down a bit <laughs> maybe not give it quite as much power as it used to have my two final questions mm. which could be sometimes they're a bit similar mm-hmm. so one is what advice would you give your younger self oh um, and it can be any version of your younger self Something you'd wish yeah. you'd done differently? I think I would... It's it sort of... Yeah, I think it... Maybe... I think I'm quite young. I think I'm probably about sort of... Um, in fact, there's a picture that I've got of me. And it was my first day at a school I was sent to that I absolutely hated and I'm stood in front of my dad's really snazzy car and you know like they were they were kind of living the middle class dream um coming from from very working class roots and and it was a big thing for them to send me to this school and I and I really knew that and it was a big deal for me as well but I think it was something around I think I'd say something like you're you are 
you're okay exactly as you are. Mm. Like you, you do not need to be anything else. And at that point, I really believed that I needed to be better, you know, yeah. in everything. Yeah, yeah. To fit into this new environment. And when yeah. I got there and I didn't fit, it was, you know, day after day of... Not fitting. Feeling like I didn't belong. So basically you'd tell that little girl that she's okay. She's okay. She will find a way in the yeah. end, hang in there. Yeah. 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 What about life advice to throw out to anyone then? Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's something about kind of learning, learning to trust yourself. Um, and I, I guess that part about that I mentioned about um, it's okay to fail. Yeah. And people need to be allowed to fail. At any point in their At lives. At any point in their lives. Our kids need to be allowed to fail. Because <laughs> really, learn that. you should have failed mm. and given up a lot sooner, shouldn't exactly. you? Exactly. And I could have been on this journey. A lot sooner. And I wouldn't have had to go through the grief process that I went through of kind of really giving up 20 of years of my life to, um, to a fear of failure. But on that note, I will say thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jen. If you would like to hear more about this chat, see some behind-the-scenes pics and some personal profile pics, plus read about how to get started in this industry and all this role, then please go and support us on Patreon. The link is on this podcast page and across all of our socials. Sincere thanks in advance.